welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Jared Neiman, pastor of Abundant Living Faith Center. We are continuing in this series we started last week called Originals. I want to, I mean, Masterpieces. Today's title is called Originals. Now, a lot of people always ask me, Jared, like, what are you reading? What are, what are, what are you using to get better? And I want to tell you about this book. Um, this book I read a couple months ago. It's called Originals. It's by a guy named Adam Grant. It is not a Christian book, okay? Full disclosure, not a Christian book. There's really not anything opposing Christianity. In fact, if you really know the word, you're like, uh, that's in the Bible, that's in the Bible, that's in the Bible. You're just not quoting Bible, but you're quoting Bible. You know what I'm saying? And um, it is a spectacular book. If you're a leader or you want to be a leader, you need to read this book. If you have young children, you need to read this book. There's an entire chapter on how to develop your child's originality, their vision, and their creativity, and it all comes down on how you speak to them. Just how you speak to them. Power of your words. Life and death is in the power of your tongue. And um, so I just wanted to tell you about it, okay? It's great. You can tell I read it a lot. It's all jacked up. I'm not going to give it to you. They did get some in the bookstore, but um, uh, because I talked about it on the west side, and then our bookstore got flooded with people with wanting it. And we were like, oh, we don't carry it. It's a secular book. So Erica went ahead and just bought some if you want. But you can get it at Amazon or Barnes & Noble or whatever. Let's see if, can we connect three for three so far this weekend? Bang! Carson Wentz. No, I'm just kidding. Man, some of y'all like me until I make these cowboy jokes. All right. Masterpieces. What is a masterpiece? What's a masterpiece? Last week I showed you what I believe is the four characteristics of a masterpiece. We're going to put it on the screen. I'm putting a lot of stuff on the screens throughout this series because I'm trying to paint a picture for you, pun intended. I'm trying to paint a picture for you. Feel free to get your phones out. Take all the pictures of the screens that you want. I want you to get it. I want you to walk out of here. The goal of this series is to get you to view yourself the way that God views you. Amen? So what's a masterpiece? Let's put this on the screen. Here's the characteristics. Is it not working? It rebooted. Just kidding. I'm going to tell you. That's why we have notes. So forget the taking of the pictures, I apologize. Apparently the, can the computer died, crashed. Uh -huh. A masterpiece is something that is designed, the first characteristic is a, a masterpiece is something that is designed, it is created, and it is perfected. That's what we talked about last week, that you are designed, you are created, and you are perfected. Ah, voila, I have a screen here. Uh, you're designed, you're created, and you are perfected. Amen? A masterpiece does not become a masterpiece until perfection. And God said that through salvation with Jesus Christ, that your spirit is perfected for eternity. The very moment that you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the real you, the eternal you, 
The you that God knew before you were even in your mother's womb. The you that is divinely connected to your heavenly father, your spirit, the spirit that is saved and born again, the spirit that will live in heaven for eternity when your imperfect flesh dies, your eternal perfected self, your spirit will live for eternity and it is perfected. And at the very moment that you accepted Jesus, the master himself gave you a piece of himself named Jesus. And the reason you can now identify as a masterpiece is because a piece of the master lives on the inside of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Incredible. The second characteristics of a masterpiece is that a masterpiece is always an original. It is never a copy, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Masterpieces are also cherished, they are valued, and they are loved. We build buildings to hold masterpieces. We hire armed security to protect masterpieces. We will travel long and far to see a masterpiece. We will pay money for them. We cherish them, we value them, we love them. I showed you a picture last week of this thing, this, this painting called The Interchange that until this week was the most expensive painting ever sold at $300 million. Oh my God, to pay that for a painting. But then this week, many of you might have seen it. Something broke the record. $450 million, but guess who the painting was of? Jesus. And that's why I don't lead praise and worship. That was so bad, some of y'all wanted to leave. You're like, my eardrums hurt. Jesus is now the most expensive painting, amen. The other characteristic of a masterpiece is that they are created on purpose for a purpose. My family, listen to me. Every single one of us has asked the question, why am I here? What's my purpose? What's my calling? Have you ever thought that? What am I here for? God, why'd you put me here? What am I here for? Next Saturday and Sunday, no person that comes to church will leave here ever asking, them that question, asking themselves that question again. Next week, I will show you through God's word what your calling is and what your purpose is. You were created on purpose for a purpose. The word of God shows it to you. The word of God shows you how to achieve it, how to fulfill it, and how God has given it to you to change the world. Every person that comes to church next week, you will understand why you are here, what your calling is, and what your purpose is. Come to church next Saturday and next Sunday. It'll change your life, amen? Amen. How are we masterpieces? In, in the earth, we see a lot of things that we call masterpieces. Paintings, buildings, statues, the ocean, the sunset, the forests, the trees, the human body. All of those things, however, are temporary. There is one thing and one thing only, though, that God calls a masterpiece. And we see it in our foundational text for this teaching. We'll put it on the screen. It comes out of Ephesians 2, verse 10, where it says, For we are 
God's masterpiece. For we, does that we include you and me sitting here in church today? Yes, it does. For we, the men and women of Abundant Living Faith Center, at 11.31 a.m. on Sunday morning, we are God's masterpiece. How? Because we're created anew in Christ Jesus. We are God's masterpiece. We. Even, in our, even with all our mistakes, the regret, the insecurities, the burden that you brought in here, God says, I see all that, but you're my masterpiece. Designed, created, and perfected through Jesus Christ as an original, on purpose, for a purpose, cherished, valued, and loved, past, present, and future, nothing you have done or ever will do can separate you from the unconditional, unwavering love of your heavenly Father. Why? Because you are His masterpiece. And the goal of this series is to get you to see yourself the way God sees you, as a masterpiece, as a masterpiece. You're not worthless, you're not a failure, you're not an accident, you're not the mistakes of your past, you're not a fool, you're not stupid, you're not whatever people have told you. It's time to redefine how you see yourself. And from this moment forward, you can reject all of that negativity and say to yourself, no, I am a masterpiece. Amen. Amen. You know, let's just say it together. Say, I am, I am. a masterpiece. masterpiece. Now say it like with a smile on your face like you actually believe it. Say, I am, I am. A, masterpiece. a masterpiece. Let's just say it again. Come on. You don't need me. I'm not going to be with you on Tuesday morning. Say it like you believe it. Come on. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Church, I'm telling you to praise the Lord. How am I a masterpiece? You don't understand, Jared. I sure don't feel like a masterpiece. Well, it starts with your design, continues in your creation, and as I already mentioned, it goes forward in your perfection. And Jesus has made you perfect in your spirit. And even when your flesh, the temporary you, is imperfect, the real you stays perfect. And the more you accept God's truth in your life, the more it affects your spirit. And your spirit then begins to take over your flesh. And you begin to make decisions based off of your perfect spirit and it begins to overrule your imperfect flesh. A lot of you have already done it. You came into the house of God. You encountered Jesus. You gave him your life. 
and you started learning his wisdom and God would touch your spirit through his truth and then your spirit began to affect your mind and your mouth and your tongue and you started going, hey, I'm, I don't think I should do that anymore. You know, I'm not gonna look at that stuff anymore. You know what, I'm gonna treat my husband this way and not this way. I'm not gonna lose my temper anymore. I'm gonna control my mouth. I'm gonna start speaking faith instead of doubt. I'm gonna start being a generous person instead of stingy. See, the truth of God comes into your perfected spirit. And it begins to overwhelm your flesh. But even when your flesh is imperfect, that is the whole point of, your, of the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the forgiveness of God. Because nothing can separate you from the perfection that Jesus gave you on the cross 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen. Let's get into the new stuff. A masterpiece is an original. It's never a copy. We don't build buildings for the copies. Masterpieces are originals. They're not copies. Copies are just watered down versions of the original. They're just watered down versions. Amen? I mentioned last week, the sequel to a movie is rarely as, is rarely as good as the original. Because the original is where all the creativity was. The original is where the passion was. The original is where the fresh idea was. The sequel is just a watered down version of the original. We, uh, cover bands don't fill up stadiums. You know where they play? Like at the casino. In the lounge where, where nobody's paying attention. The people that fill the stadium are the originals. The dudes that wrote the song. The, the, the women that created the music, they filled the stadium. The cover band plays in the bar down the street. You get what I'm saying? God speaks all over the Bible about you and I being originals. About that you and I were created by him from the creator himself. See, no two people are the same. God says that we are Originals, we are not copies. It's the originals that change society. It's the originals that become the leaders, that become the visionaries. It's the originals that build the great businesses and have the great marriages. It's the originals that raise the kids that change society. And God says that you are an original. No two fingerprints are the same. No two stories are the same. No two talents, abilities, or resources are the same. No two mind is the same. No two dream, dreams or visions are the same. And why would we even want it to be? Isn't that one of the beauties of life is that we're all unique? I have my dreams and my passions and you have yours. What fun would it be if we were all copies? Just. <laughs> With no mind of our own, no passion. Just. <laughs> Where do I go next? 
What do I do now? You know who charts the course? The original. And God says that you're an original. Look at Galatians 5, verse 25 and 26. Thank God the computer started working because I didn't have this one written down. (laughs) And it's out of the Message Bible, and I brought the New King James. Check this out. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea. See, a lot of times, leave that scripture up, a lot of times we mentally ascend to something that is the truth, but we don't accept it for our own lives. And that's my goal here, is to get you to accept that you are a masterpiece created on purpose for a purpose, that you're cherished, valued, and loved, and that you are an original. Don't just amen it, accept it and own it. Take it personal. Amen. And then what Paul says, but work out its implications. That's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna work out the implications in every detail of our lives. That means, now listen to the words, that means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each one of us is what? An original. Now we're going to come back to that comparison mess. Because you talk about a sin of the devil that he has put on the earth to rob you of your joy. Comparison. Amen. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But God says you're an original. Let's look at another scripture, Romans 12, verse 2. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed to this world. In these two scriptures, we see that there's two ways to build our lives. One way to build your life is as the original that God created you to be. The other way to build your life is as a conformist. It's the non-conformist, the originals that change society. It's the originals that have the best marriages. It's the originals that have the best businesses. It's the originals that get promoted, that get raises. It's the originals that have the successful uh, relationship with their kids. It's the originals that build great churches. It's the originals that go and get elected for things. It's the originals that chart the course of society and the copies, the conformists, they live life the way the original tells them to live. And what did God say you are? An original. You're an original. See, God gave you your originality so that you could build a life that you're satisfied with. A life where you have hopes and dreams and passions and you can pursue them and where his grace comes onto your life to make them happen. But the devil comes in to try to rob you of that life. And that's why God said in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the ways of the world. See, the devil wants you to give up your originality and settle, settle for it's okay. 
Do you remember when you used to dream? Do you still dream? Do you still dream? Do you still remember when you had a fire in your stomach for life? Like this passion, this desire? Remember when you hit the ground running on Monday morning and now it's like, oh, another Monday. (laughs) When's it gonna be Friday? Uh, Four days from now. (laughs) Stop putting that on Facebook. You're gonna get yourself fired complaining about work. Knock it off. You better hope your boss don't see that. And they're trolling you. I troll all my employees. (laughs) I'm watching you, man. Remember the marriage you thought you would have? Do you remember the degree you wanted to get? Remember that business you were gonna open? Do you still dream? Do you still have that passion? Well, I don't know what, how you came in here, but my prayer today is that you will leave here. And maybe you've given up dreams or visions or hopes or ideas. I believe that you'll leave here and God will have restored them. And over the course of the next few weeks, that fire will come back. That desire will come back. That passion for life will come back. And maybe God will restore the dream or give you a new dream. Maybe God will restore an idea or he'll give you a new idea. But my prayer is, is that you'll have one. And you'll go forward with a passion and a desire and a focus and an energy. And nothing will stop you from fulfilling what God has for your life. And so now, let's work out the implications. This whiteboard isn't up here because it's so purdy, you know. Pursuing. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Originality. Pursuing it. Two ways to build your life, as an original or as a conformist, it's the originals that have fulfillment. It's the originals that have success. It's the originals that transform society. So let's be the originals God made us to be. Amen? First step of pursuing your originality is getting a vision for your life. Getting a vision. And you know where getting a vision for your life comes from? Curiosity. Can my life get better? Yes. And then it, the, the next step is, is, after curiosity, is rejecting the default. Did you catch what I just said? Rejecting the default. Well, all the women in my family treat their husbands like that, yeah, and all of them are divorced. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, my entire family has diabetes. Well, why don't you change that course? See, there's so much to be said about just rejecting the default or at least questioning it. Amen? Our marriage doesn't have to end in divorce. Why can't you go back to school? Well, I'm busy. Okay. Go back to school anyway. Why can't you get that master's degree? Well, nobody in my family gets promoted. Why can't you get promoted? 
Do you have a vision for your life? Do you have one? I have a vision for every area of my life. Every area. As a husband, I have a vision as a father. I have a vision as the pastor of this church. I have a vision for the church itself. I have a vision as a friend. I have a vision for my physical body. I have a vision for my spiritual body. I have a vision for my emotions. Do you have a vision for your life? See, vision is so powerful. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people perish. So you could flip that and say where there is vision, the people thrive. Amen? See, vision produces results. Or you can conform and make excuses. My family, you can have results or you can have excuses, but you cannot have both. Amen. You can have results or excuses, but not both. Moses had a vision. Moses wanted to free the people. Moses was living in exile because he had murdered someone. He had failed. He had really messed up, but he had a vision. So Jesus himself manifests in a bush on fire. Says, Moses, you got this dream, this vision. I'm going to make it happen. Now, you would think that Moses' response would have been like, get down on your knees and said, yes, Lord. You want to know what Moses' response was? I'm not qualified, he said to Jesus. I'm not smart enough, he said to Jesus. You know something, my family? It's not the most qualified people or the smartest people that get ahead in life. It's not, it's proven. Did you know that child prodigies are no more successful than the average person? You want to know why? Because they're taught to perfect other people's work. Very rarely child prodigies are taught to be originals. They're just taught to perfect other people's work. You want to know who the most successful people in life are? The people who relentlessly pursue their vision. And no excuse, no unqualification, no I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not this, I'm not that, I wasn't born on this side of the freeway, I didn't get to go to this school, I didn't get to do this, my husband left me at this, this happened with my kids. No excuse will stop them from relentlessly pursuing their vision. See, vision has power. Vision gives your life purpose. Vision gives your life meaning. When you fall, vision makes you get back up. When you mess up, vision makes you learn from the mistake to move forward. When you screw up, vision gives you down on your knees in front of your spouse asking for forgiveness because what you did doesn't fit in your vision. Vision keeps you home on a Friday night instead of getting drunk with your boys because you don't raise good kids and have a successful marriage being drunk with the boys at the bar. You raise good kids to serve God because you stay at home with them. You tuck them in bed at night. You read the Bible to them. You pray with them. You love them. You hug them. And you get them to bed early so that mom and dad can go do some adult 
things in the other room. You know what I'm saying? Because that helps your marriage too. Not stumbling in drunk like a fool. Well, I'm not sure I like you very much. Good preaching, Jared. See, vision gets you to the gym even when you're exhausted. Vision makes you eat lettuce. <laughs> and white grilled chicken. It's disgusting. I eat it twice a day. I hate it. But I eat it. It's awful. The other day I was ordering, I was like... Can I have the chicken and can you make, have them make it with, with no butter, please? And I was like, oh, you know that emoji with the one tear? That was me. <laughs> See, vision gets you to work early and keeps you there late. Because the guy that gets promoted is the guy that goes above and beyond, not the guy that does barely enough to get by. Oh, you can keep making excuses, but you're not going to get results. You can go live in your excuse all you want. All you want. But don't be mad that you're not accomplishing your dreams. It's the visionaries that change society. Number two. Are you glad you came to church? Well, it was a little challenging there, huh? Except who God made Sorry for my writing. You to be. Or, back to Galatians, you can live in comparison. Let's read uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we, watch these words. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. This is a lot of selfishness. And then what does Paul say? Are not wise. Translation, they are fools. And Jesus said, or in Galatians, Paul said, don't waste your time with comparison. The lie of comparison is one of the simplest yet most profound ways that Satan robs us of our originality, our dreams, and our passions. I say it's simple but profound. Why? Because it's human nature. We all do it. We all see people's talents and abilities and go, oh, man. How come I'm, I'm not like that? I used to struggle with comparison so bad. I used to go down there and, God, I would just dream of what it would be like to be able to sing like Ezra and Siobhan. <laughs> like, wow. And I'd turn around and y'all be crying and with your hands up. But I am so bad. <laughs> but you know what I can do? I can get up here and talk. Like, that's what I'm good at. Like, I was hoping for like four more amens, but you know, it's okay, it's okay. But you know what? I struggled with it so bad even when I started preaching. 
I would, I mean, it would just bog me down, man. I'd just be sitting there with the Bible open, trying to develop a whole four-week teaching on definitions like my dad. You know, my dad will give you four weeks out of one verse. He'll give you the definitions of all the words. And you sit out there and you're like, oh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? Like, that's why we're all here. Um, and he'll be like, the definition of the is this. And you're like, praise Jesus. You know what I think the means? The. <laughs> but not Charles. I'd be sitting there. I don't know how he does this. How does he do this? But the devil had convinced me that the only way you all would accept me is if I was like him. No, I'm serious, man. I'd sit there eight, nine hours, and I'd have half a page. I don't know what to do. Scared. And then I'd see Shannon preach. Shannon comes up here all beautiful. <laughs> Shannon will rattle off in one message, or rattle off like the entire New Testament from memory. Because Shannon has identic memory. It's wonderful. It's wonderful being the younger kid with the brilliant sister. She's the type that can read the book and then quote it to you word for word like a month later. Guys, I had to read that book like four times just to know what it was talking about. Anybody else more like me? Like, thank you, that makes me feel better about myself. Like, I, I'm the type. They like, I read chapter one, and then I go, I have no idea what I just read. <laughs> Dang it. So then I start over, but then I'm, my mind keeps telling me, don't forget what you're reading, don't forget what you're reading, don't forget what you're reading. And then I read the whole chapter again, and all I thought about was not forgetting what I was reading. And I'm like, Dang it. We'll go on vacation and my, my wife will read like three novels and I'm on chapter two. And I'm not even sure what I read. Shannon would come in here at women's night out, girls night out. You ladies be crying, shouting and rejoicing. She'd quote the entire Bible to you. And I'm coming in here like, I got three points. <laughs> on a really deep week. Sometimes I got four points for you. My dad will tell you the definitions. Change your world. Shannon quotes you the whole Bible. And I'm like, I, 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 have, I have three points today. <laughs> and one day I was all frustrated and I told my dad, I don't know how you do this. He was like, Jared, stop trying to be me. Just go be yourself. And God will anoint the ability that he gave you. You know what Jesus told Moses? Moses made all these excuses. I'm not smart enough. I'm not qualified. He told him, send someone else. They told, Moses told Jesus, it ain't going to work. <laughs> what? You know what Moses told, I mean, what Jesus told Moses? Moses, use what's in your hand.
to get you to what's in your heart. My family, you can live in comparison. Comparison keeps you bound to other people. But listen, trying to build your life on the talents and abilities of someone else will never get you anywhere. You will stay stuck, stagnant, frustrated, mad, bitter. Your life will never go anywhere. It'll never go anywhere. I wrote down here, comparing yourselves with others with what others have will never bring to pass what they have in your life. The only comparison that is worth any time is comparison that inspires you to change. That's the only comparison that's worth any time. And that's why the Bible says, do not neglect the gift that God has put on the inside of you. But comparison says to God, the gift you gave me isn't good enough. You know what it also says? It says your grace is sufficient for only some people. My family, God will not give you dreams, desires, passions, visions for them not to come true. Ephesians 3.20 says that this is the God who is capable of doing exceedingly abundantly above anything you could ever ask or dream. My family, you cannot outdream God's grace on your life. God not only wants your dreams to come true, he wants to take you so far above and beyond those dreams that you will look back and laugh at how small your dream was. And you'll say, why didn't I dream bigger? And God's up there going, well, try again, buddy, because I got more for you. <laughs> but you'll never get there building, on your, building your life on what you're not. Do not neglect the gift. The Bible says everything you set your hand to do will prosper, not what you try to set someone else's hand to do. Amen? Let me tell you the lies of comparison. Someone else's fortune is somehow my misfortune. Someone else's fortune is somehow my misfortune. No, it's not. Someone else's fortune should inspire you. Yeah. It should inspire you. What are they doing I'm not doing? Why'd they get the promotion and I didn't? What'd they do that I didn't do? Why are they so happy? We're not happy, why are they happy? What are they doing? That is the only comparison that is worth your time. The second lie of comparison is that the grass is always greener on the other side. That's a cliche except it's so powerful. Right? You, know, you want to know where the grass is green? Where you water it. Amen. You don't go water your neighbor's yard and expect your grass to be green. That's just dumb. I already said... <laughs> Except some of you are like, yeah, it is. Some of you are like, did the pastor just say dumb in church? Yeah. God's grace, you say, the lies of comparison, I said this one, God's grace is not sufficient for me. You're also, the lie of comparison tells you that there's not enough blessing to go around. Wow, can I keep you like two more minutes? Okay, now this next one, okay, I'm gonna ask for your forgiveness ahead of time because I think this might be a cuss word. I know in some people this is a cuss word, so I'm asking you to forgive me, okay? Do you love me? 
Okay, you're like, write it down first. It's called accountability. I set that up pretty good, huh? But it's funny how that's kind of become like a cuss word. And you want to know what the opposite of accountability is? I'm going to put this in capital letters. Blame. And this is becoming the plague of our society. Everything is everybody else's fault. We blame God. We blame the devil. We blame the Republicans, the Democrats, the president, the city council, the mayor. We blame the guy on the freeway. We blame our boss. We blame our coworkers. If you didn't make me so mad, I wouldn't have lost my temper. Well, how about you just don't lose your temper? The truth is, if we're really being honest with ourselves, most of our problems we created. Accountability always moves your life forward. Blame gets you stuck in the mud. You want to know why? Because about accountability looks at your life and says, listen, it asks three questions. What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And what do I need to do to get better? And the most successful people in life are not people who blame their lives on other people. They take control of their lives. And they ask themselves, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And ultimately, what do I need to do to get better? Because even in your right, you can still get better. You ain't Jesus. But Jesus lives on the inside of you. See, accountability starts with being accountable to your vision. Because vision brings accountability. Amen? Vision automatically says no to a lot of things that don't fit within the vision, right? But the most successful people in life are the ones who reject blame, they accept accountability, but listen, they're self-accountable. A lot of people are accountable to their spouse, their boss, to God, to their church, and all of that is spectacular. But the most successful people in life are self-accountable. They can look at themselves with humility and be honest with themselves and ask those questions. What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And what do I need to change? And when you live with accountability, your life will always move forward. You will never stagnate. You'll never stagnate because you're always getting smarter. You're always changing. You're always adjusting. You're always looking to be more efficient, to, get, to work harder, to ask for forgiveness, to not blame, to reject foolishness. You're always getting better because of accountability. Blame keeps you stuck right where you are. And ultimately, the vision doesn't come true. Are you glad you came to church today? Stand to your feet. I know I kept you a little late. I'm sorry, not sorry. Can I pray for you? 
Lift your hands towards heaven. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we can build a new identity as your masterpieces. We honor you and we glorify you. Lord, inspire vision in us. If we've lost it, give us a dream, give us a passion. Renew that hope and that burning desire in our hearts. Give us a vision, Lord. Help us to identify with the way that you have identified us as your masterpiece. We wanna be the originals that you made us to be. We don't wanna to conform to the world. No, we wanna transform the world. For your glory, Lord. For your glory. And Father, we, we, we reject blame. And today as we leave here, we believe that you will speak to our hearts, our minds, and our spirits and show us what are we doing right, what are we doing wrong, and what do we need to change to get better. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for coming to church. Love you guys. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. For information on teaching material or questions about our church, please visit us at alfc.com.